New on CuriosityStream, Darwin's theory of evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a 10-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Mr. Black, I was about to head home for the night when dispatch notified me of another fare. I considered turning it down, but it has been a slow night. I just hoped it wasn't a group of drunken leprechauns again. My car still reeked of vomit, even after getting the cab hosed out. And to top it off, they stiffed me on the tip, pots of gold my ass. So I made my way down to the warehouse district and prayed it was just an elf or fairy. They at least tipped well, even if half of them tried to glamour their way out of paying the fare. It always surprised them when I called them out. I was just a human, low man on the totem pole when it came to anything magical. But I could see through a glamour without even trying. It wasn't a gift I'd have chosen. Most of the things that use a glamour use them for a reason. They're disgusting. I notified dispatch that I'd arrived at my destination and settled down to wait for my fare to arrive. I'd give them two minutes and then turn the meter on. Time is money, and sometimes the fares I picked up warped time just by being. Nothing like an hour passing in the time it takes to drive three blocks. I'd parked under a street lamp because I like to see what I'm going to pick up, and some things couldn't take the light. Those, I didn't trust. Not worth the risk. In truth, most of the things I ferry around feed off humans or prey on our weaknesses. Magic was mostly forgotten by humans, but getting paid in gold coins or gems made it worth turning a blind eye on the predators. What had humans ever done for me? I felt the old bitterness well up and tried to stuff it back down. It wasn't productive. The foster system sucked, especially when you could tell the foster parents weren't even human. Although, sometimes the humans were worse than the monsters. Screw it. At least I'd learned to defend myself. Holy water, iron nails, twigs of rowan, silver cross, not that I was a big believer, and Betty, my gun. No silver bullets right now. Just too expensive. Blessed hollow points would have to do. All of it obtained and learned the hard way of fighting tooth and nail to not stay the victim. One day I'd go back and finish some of these assholes. I had a list. A long one. I looked around, wondering where my fare was and flicked the meter on. I'd give it five minutes before I radio dispatched to say it was a no-show. I nearly came unglued when a voice in the back seat said, Fifth and Park Street. It wasn't just that the voice was raspy and creepy as hell. It was that the doors had never opened. How the hell had he gotten in? My ability to see through glamours made me hard to sneak up on, and their other mind tricks rarely had any effect on me, so it wasn't very comfortable to be surprised like this, but I tried not to show how much I was shaken. Nothing was out of bounds of possibility with the kinds of fares I picked up. Fifth and Park? I questioned to make sure I knew where I was going. I got a nod from the thing in the back seat. I tried to get a good look at it to see what I was transporting, but it was all in shadow and hard to focus on. I could make out a dark leather duster that had clearly been through the ringer with dark stains and scuffed sections. 
He was also wearing a hat that left his face in shadow. It seemed to absorb the light without revealing any details. But the worst part was that I couldn't see through its glamour. I could tell it was a glamour. The edges of the figure glitched and spiked, but I couldn't see through it. It had to be pretty damn powerful. Lucky me. I plugged the destination into my nav and flipped the car into drive. As I headed out, I continued to observe my passenger in the rearview mirror. Despite street lights and a full moon, it remained obscured to my vision. So, what's a fifth and park? I asked. I could kick myself. Small talk with something powerful enough to hide from my sight. Thing was making me nervous. I hated babbling. I mostly just drove and stayed quiet. He, I'm pretty sure it was a he, remained quiet for so long I thought he wasn't going to speak. Until that raspy voice hollowy from the darkness. An ending. Well, if that wasn't ominous as hell, I hated that he was behind me. I hoped the wards would hold out if he had a move. Perhaps. A beginning. I continued after a pause. I decided that was enough chit-chat for this ride and sped up a bit. I just wanted to get this fare over. I rolled up on a stop sign and prepared to roll through it when I felt a hand on my shoulder. Damn, he was through the wards with zero effort. Stop, he said. I slammed on the brakes. It was instant compliance to his command. And it was a good thing too, as a car came flying through the intersection where my car would have been if I hadn't stopped. My heart was pounding, but not from the near miss. When he touched me, I felt a vibration. It echoed down into my abdomen and rattled around in hollows I hadn't known existed. And it burned. It was like I was made aware of deep wells in my soul, and now that I was aware, I couldn't feel the empty spaces. What the hell? I turned to look at the black mass behind me, and somehow I knew he was smiling. What the hell was that? He stared at me and leaned forward, and I caught a glimpse of his face. At least the giant scar that puckered and twisted his features before his glamour cloaked him again. Drive. The empty spaces continued to ache inside me, and I swallowed nervously and turned to face forward. Let's just get this over with. There were only a few blocks to go. I drove forward. The warehouses had given way to ramshackle houses way past their prime, with yards decorated by junk and the occasional swing set behind wire fences. I finally reached Park Street and turned to head towards 5th Street. The ache had intensified and gone from burning to a cold darkness inside me. Chills went down my spine when we reached our destination. I knew this was the place. I'd recognize it anywhere. I dreamed about it enough. I came to a stop and stared at the unobtrusive white house with the peeling paint. I knew that behind it would be an old oak tree with a hollow in the branches. I used to hide there. I knew this place all right. The occupant was on my list. I jumped when I heard the car door open and the interior light revealed my pale and wide-eyed face in the rearview mirror. Mr. Black had stepped out and shut the door. I watched as he approached the house. I could see him more clearly as he walked under a streetlight. In addition to his duster, he had a gun belt complete with gun and two white sticks holstered on his back. The sticks looked carved, but were hard to focus on. 
He reached the door and never even paused as he kicked it inward and walked inside. I considered grabbing my gun in holy water and getting out of the car, but I remained frozen in place, watching the door of the house. I already knew what was inside. A nightmare. An unholy shrieking started up in the house, and loud crashing sounds came from within. The sounds of the nightmare jolted me out of my stasis, and I grabbed my gun and supplies and stepped out of the cab. Screw this thing. I'd had to run away repeatedly as a kid, but I was stronger now, and I wanted revenge. I moved closer to the house. The sounds were louder now. When the front window burst and I saw Mr. Black tumble out with a writhing nest of dark tentacles in his arms, one of the things from my nightmares was here. Mr. Black had drawn his weapons, and the two sticks were a glowing blur, spinning and striking in movements far faster than a human could wield them. I was surprised they were striking the creature. Every weapon I'd ever tried to fight it off with had always passed through like they were smoke, but his sticks landed solidly, and the areas he hit became more solid, more real for a few seconds. I could see he was causing damage, but it didn't seem to be enough and he was taking damage as well. As fast as he was, there were hundreds of tentacles, and some of them were stabbing into his chest and legs. I knew what that felt like, and I knew they would be draining him of energy. I raised my gun and fired off two shots. They hit the nightmare dead center but passed straight through, causing no damage. Damn it, I exclaimed, and stared helplessly as the thing twisted its tentacles around one of Mr. Black's legs, and managed to bring him down. He landed hard, but swung both sticks upwards into the mass of tentacles, causing them to solidify and recoil. Shoot it, he cried as he struck it again and again, trying to shake it loose. Its tentacles continued to squeeze and stab, and I swear I could hear it laughing, an ugly whispering cackle that stirred up horrible memories. My vision went red, and I raised my gun and fired off four more shots at the creature. Three passed through harmlessly, but one entered the solidified area by the sticks and obliterated the creature. It screamed again, ear-piercingly loud. My eyes widened, and my adrenaline rushed. I'd heard it. The hollow point had shredded it. But it was already reforming, twisting within itself and repairing the damage. Hit it! I screamed. Mr. Black swung his weapons at the nightmare and struck it hard. Waves of energy from the sticks caused the creature to solidify for a few seconds. I fired the remaining two bullets and both struck and brutalized the creature. I threw my holy water at it, and where the water landed, I heard a sizzling sound and it shrieked again. I frantically reloaded my gun. As Mr. Black reclaimed his leg and struggled up to one knee, he looked a lot weaker and didn't move as quickly. One of his sticks had been pulled away when the creature recoiled but he took the other one in both hands and began to beat at the creature. Gone was the grace and speed, just raw brutality. I timed my shots to his swings, and each bullet did massive damage. I continued shooting even when I ran out of bullets, but the black mass of tentacles had stopped moving, and I didn't need any more bullets. Mr. Black had collapsed, breathing heavily, with blood flowing freely from a multitude of wounds. I moved swiftly to his side, trying to remember any first aid. I knew I should apply pressure, but there were so many wounds. The darkness around him was gone. I could see him clearly for the first time. Scars marred his visage. Old ones, 
well-heeled but thick. I recognized him anyway. Take it, he said. Pulling at the black iron ring on his right hand, he continued weakly, and the Eskrima sticks. As he dropped the ring into my hand, a jolt of energy passed through my body just like the vibration from before, only a hundred times stronger. The empty spaces expanded, still achingly empty, and my body went rigid from the pain. I collapsed as the power faded, the ring now just a ring, although it was now on my finger. I looked down at Mr. Black, his breath coming in gasps. I knew he wasn't going to make it much longer. His wounds were too severe. He was losing blood quickly. Finish it, he gasped and looked towards the creature. Its tentacles of smoke still writhed occasionally. It had to die. I stood and grabbed the sticks, now revealed to be more elaborately carved bone, and approached the nightmare. I raised the weapons and clubbed the creature, hitting it over and over again. It tried to writhe away, but I followed it. It lashed out and a tentacle punctured into my throat, but I kept swinging until one last blow crushed some inner core inside, and it began to fade. Dark energy rushed up my arms and soaked into the empty spaces the ring had opened up. I could feel the creature's soul inside my body, dissolving into pure energy, the puncture wound in my throat healing and scarring over. With the spaces filling, my mind began unfolding. New awareness stretched outward. I could feel holes opening up through time and space, and I could feel the life energy of those around me in the houses. I wondered what they thought of the commotion and gunshots, but no one had come out to investigate. I guess they knew better. I pulled on the darkness within and cloaked myself in shadow. I went to Mr. Black and knelt down beside him. I took his hat and removed his leather duster. I knew he would want me to have them. I placed my hand on his chest and brought forth the dark energy again. His body began to fade as I pushed it into a between space. Standing up, I looked over at the cab and knew I wouldn't be driving anymore. I slid the sticks into their holster and adjusted my gun belt, checked the gun and smiled grimly when I saw the silver bullets. I looked up at the full moon and felt inside the duster's leather pocket. Inside was a wrinkled and stained paper. I gently unfolded it. I knew what it was. My list. Several names were already crossed out and using a twig dipped in the blood of the nightmare, I crossed one more off the list. I stretched my new awareness out through both time and space and felt a tug to my left. I just knew my next target was in that direction. These bullets would come in handy. I looked around one last time. The nightmare would dissolve with the sunrise, and I'd already disposed of Mr. Black. Nothing was holding me back. I had a list and while I didn't really understand how it was possible, I now had the means to finish it. I hoped I wouldn't get the scars Mr. Black had gotten. I had been shocked to look into my own face, older and more battle-worn, but still me. I saluted the spot where Mr. Black had died and said, We will get them all, every predator and every monster. My voice was raspy from the injury I'd taken despite how quickly I'd healed, and it echoed strangely, from the spaces that had grown inside me. I wondered which me had gained this power, what price was paid, or due to be paid, but I knew I had it for a reason, 
so I stepped forward, sliding through between spaces towards the next thing on my list. Randy and Julia loved dead things. They craved nothing as much as they did abandoned towns, places built by man, and then left to be taken back by nature. Shut down factories and decommissioned prisons were their playgrounds, and they collected ghost stories like some people collected baseball cards. Other couples called them morbid, of course, and their families thought they were crazy, but they never felt as peaceful, never felt as at home, as when they picnicked in a cemetery or walked hand-in-hand in, hand in a crypt, reading aloud the names of the deceased to each other. So when it came time to plan a vacation for their three-year anniversary, it didn't take long to decide on a week-long road trip, an adventure to some of America's forgotten places. Their plan was to start in Pithole City, then drive to Centralia, then onto Penn Hills Resort, with a handful of other stops along the way culminating in fulfilling their long-time dream of doing a little time at Eastern State Penitentiary. They packed some clothes, loaded up Randy's Oldsmobile, and headed out on their adventure. They'd been driving quietly for the last hour or so, barely seeing another car the entire time, and had fallen into a peaceful silence. Sometime after passing their third state forest, a place where things had the nerve to be alive and boring, Julia was staring out the window at the moonlit highway, daydreaming about one day visiting Highgate Cemetery in London, when something caught her attention. She sat up in the passenger seat and turned to Randy, eyes lit up with excitement. Did you see that? See what? he asked, glancing at the rearview mirror. Just trust me and pull over. Randy slowed down and rolled onto the shoulder, careful not to run over the last hubcap there. What is it? he asked, confused by her sudden change in mood. Have you heard of Broken Down Road? She asked, not so innocently. Randy scoffed at the odd question. Of course. Well, she paused. I think I saw an exit back there. He looked at his phone mounted to the dashboard. The GPS showed only a straight line indicating the highway they were on. No turns, no exits. Not so much as a dot in the road. That's supposed to be way further south from here, he said. True, but no one can ever find it, right? Maybe because they're looking in the wrong place. He frowned. He'd read the stories about Broken Down Road, which despite its nickname was more of a local highway than a road. Thirty years earlier, it had been the site of an accident so deadly that drivers, locals especially, refused to use it anymore, forcing it to be abandoned within five years' time. Stories of what happened there grew into myths, replaced by rumors of missing tourists who came seeking the legendary road. Locals allegedly grew so concerned about Broken Down Road, they took matters into their own hands and concealed the entrance, turning the unfindable road into a legend overnight. Randy was skeptical, but he also knew himself. If he didn't take a look now, he would end up going mad driving up and down the highway, looking for a hidden entrance for the next ten years. So he shifted the Oldsmobile into reverse and slowly backed up along the shoulder, running over a few rocks and some strips of torn tire rubber, not stopping until Julia told him to stop. He didn't know how she'd seen it. The trees were so thick, the weeds so overgrown they were choking each other out. But there, between two sickly elm trees was a space little more than a car's length. 
cracked blacktop branched away from the well-maintained highway, leading into the night-heavy woods. That could be any road, Randy said. Julia smiled, pointing to his phone. Regardless of what road it was, it was unmarked. They looked at one another, not saying a word, until Randy slowly smiled back at her. Ten minutes, he said. If we don't see a way off, we turn around. I know the rules, my dear. I made the rules. With another smile and a glance back to make sure no cars were coming, he swung out wide and steered the Oldsmobile into the space between the trees. Dead branches scraped their doors on either side, fingernails dragging on a chalkboard. The beaten-up black top was loud under the car's tires, and the headlights barely pierced twenty feet through the darkness. But Randy kept his foot steady on the gas, pushing the car up the slow incline of an overgrown ramp, the oppressive plant life crowding them the entire way. They shared a breathless minute, dry leaves scratching along the Oldsmobile's roof, but at the end of it, they were greeted by a beautiful sight. An empty road stretched into the night, lit by nothing more than the stars and the moon above. It can't be, Randy said under his breath. Julia reached out and squeezed his leg, barely able to contain her excitement. One way to find out, right? I guess so, he said, and pressed down on the gas. The road was surprisingly smooth compared to the ramp they'd taken to reach it. The black top was in good condition, with only a few cracks and potholes to speak of. Randy was careful to drive around them, maintaining a low speed despite his urge to open up on the road, where no one was there to stop him. Their adventure had taken an exciting, unexpected turn. And yet something bugged him about the situation. Julia, who'd been taking picture after picture on her phone, felt his hesitation and asked him what was wrong. How is this so easy to find? he asked. I mean, if it's broken down road. Julia thought about it, her phone lowering. There were some really bad storms around here a few days back. Maybe they uncovered the entrance. Maybe, he said, still not convinced. And yet the question moved quickly to the back of his mind as he looked around at the treasure they'd uncovered. Their playground hidden. The road looked as if it hadn't been visited by a single soul in decades. Not until they'd stumbled across it. There was no divider to speak of, only a faded line at its center, little more than a whisper of white reflected in the car's headlights. An impenetrable wall of trees crowded on either side of the road, guarding the road, and them, from sight. I think there's a river pretty close to here, he said, squinting through the trees. A hitchhiker drowned in it a while back. As his eyes adjusted further down the road, to a shape just barely visible in the distance, he heard Julia say something. Uh, that's weird. My phone just shut off, she mumbled to herself. But Randy couldn't pay attention to her just then, because his focus was outside of the car, outside and a bit further down. About a hundred yards ahead of them, a man stood perfectly still at the center of the road. As Julia struggled with her phone, trying to get it to turn on again, Randy let his foot off the gas and let the car coast. He wanted to say something to Julia, but he didn't want to scare her. The man in the road remained still, either oblivious to the car or standing in defiance of it. Closer now, Randy could see that the man was facing away from them, 
He wore a dark suit with red shoes, the collar of a shirt sticking up from the jacket. Only 20 yards away from him now, Randy brought the car to a complete stop. Finally, Julia looked up from her dead phone. What are you... She started saying, but her voice cut out when she saw the man in the road, not moving, not facing them, not doing anything but blocking their way. Brandy? She said. I know. No. He might need help. Randy, she repeated, her voice quivering this time. Look at his feet. He looked and immediately wished he hadn't. Randy had thought the man was wearing red shoes, but in fact he wasn't wearing shoes at all. His feet were bare, no shoes or socks on them. The skin had been shorn clean off, leaving behind a mixture of raw muscle and bloody flesh, pink and white and puddled red. Call the police, he said quietly. Just as he did, his phone shut off as well. Randy ripped it from its mount and pressed the power button then gave it an angry shake, but it remained powerless, the screen dark and cold. You need to get us out of here, Julia said, her body twisted toward him, wide eyes pleading. The surprise stop had taken a bad turn, and their adventure was suddenly no longer fun. They needed to either keep going or turn around, anything but sit in the middle of an abandoned road and stare at a man with skinless feet. Where did he go? Randy asked. Julia snapped forward in her seat, seeing what Randy saw. The man was gone. He'd vanished, leaving behind two perfectly formed footprints in the middle of the road, both painted in dark, red blood. A blink later, those were gone too. Randy felt it before he saw it. The face in the driver's side window, half red, half white the left side torn clear off. Julia screamed. The sound was deafening in the confined space. Randy fumbled so hard for the gas he missed the pedal, the shoe slipping off, then aimed again and stomped it like he meant to crush it. The car lurched forward, rocketing away from the man with half a face. Julia looked back and shouted something like, Oh God, he's not alone except Randy barely heard anything but the heartbeat pummeling his eardrums. His knuckles were white as he squeezed the steering wheel and tried to keep control of the car, pushing its old, whining engine as hard as it would go. What the hell was that? Julia asked, tears choking her vision. I don't know. I, I don't know, was all Randy could think to say. He looked in the rear view, then the side view but saw nothing except the darkened road slipping past. No bloody footprints. No man with half a face. They tried to calm themselves, come up with a plan. They would drive as long as it took to find the next exit, they decided. No turning back. No slowing down for anything short of a brick wall. Randy wanted to ask what she'd meant by he's not alone, but decided against it. He caught his breath and checked the time, trying to make sense of it all. The clock in the Oldsmobile's dashboard read 9.26. As he watched, the display dimmed for a moment, blinked all zeros, then returned to normal. He was about to ask Julia if she'd seen it too, when the wheel seized in his hands. It felt like someone had grabbed the wheel and was trying to pull it away from him. The car lurched left, then right, 
as Randy fought for control. He tried to hit the brakes, but the pedal didn't budge under his foot. The car careened down the dark road, the headlights swaying left and right in the night as Randy wrestled with the wheel. He saw the line of trees up ahead, drawing closer every second, and knew, knew in his bones, that whatever he was fighting with wanted them to meet those trees, to impale the car on them. His hands clenched the wheel, arms shaking from using all their strength. He started to think he needed to brace for impact, to prepare for the unavoidable. Before he knew what was happening, Julia took off her seatbelt, reached over and turned the key in the ignition. With the engine cut, the Oldsmobile coasted along the road, the wheels still pulling them left and right, until finally they crawled to a stop at a harsh angle, halfway between lanes. Randy and Julia watched the steering wheel turn on its own for a few seconds, still trying to make them crash, before finally falling still. Then they looked at each other. Both of them were sweaty and pale, both breathing heavily, both looking as if they were about to throw up. That was good thinking, he said, and she blinked. Thanks. What did you mean back there, when you said he wasn't alone? The car came alive with the sounds of fists pummeling the glass. There was no one around them, no one on any side of the car, and yet it sounded like a crowd was beating the windows and kicking the doors, an angry mob trying to rip them out of the car. Randy checked the door locks as Julia covered her ears, trying to shut out the din of furious smashing and screaming. Randy looked around, assessing their situation. They were trapped. Really trapped. Turning the car on meant crashing. Staying there meant being attacked by an unseen horde. Getting out meant... Well, he wasn't about to get out. Not anytime soon. Not while the pounding and scratching continued. The best option, the only option, was to wait out the attack. He distantly remembered how he used to like dead things, but that idea seemed about a million miles away just then, or however far they'd traveled down Broken Down Road. Then he heard it, the unmistakable crack of glass. There, Julia shouted, pointing at the hairline fracture in the rear windshield. As unseen fists continued to beat on the car, the crack grew longer and longer, branching off like arteries until the whole sheet threatened to smash in. Randy stared at Julia, not knowing what to do. Just go, she said. Anything is better than here. There was no time to argue. The rear windshield collapsed inward, a million bits of safety glass exploding across the rear seat. Randy twisted the key, turning the old engine over on the first try and floored the gas pedal, getting them the hell out of there. A quick glance at the mirror revealed a swarm of bloody hands being pulled from the missing windshield. He was thrilled to find the steering wheel was completely under his control this time, and Julia was too, as she let out a small, nervous laugh. In no time, they were speeding back down Broken Down Road and away from the things that wanted to be in with them, the night wind whipping through the car from the missing rear windshield. Their hair and clothes flapped and waved as they careened along the long-lost highway. Do you see an exit? Julia asked over the sound of the wind assailing them. I think... I, I think I see something, he said, straining to see in the lightless night. But then he smelled something, too. Something overpowering, like blood mixed with earth. And before he knew it, 
the hands were on him, cold hands covering his eyes, choking him from behind, scratching and pulling at his face. He tried to tear them away, but it was too late. He felt the car leave the highway, tires bouncing on unpaved ground. And then, just for a moment, with fingernails pulling at his eyes, he heard Julia scream. Randy felt the impact in his chest as the seatbelt engaged like a punch to the sternum. Then his ears were filled with the sound of breaking glass and crunching metal. The world folded in around him. The hands on his face had disappeared as quickly as they came, leaving him to grasp for breath as his vision came back and the car settled into its new, mangled shape. Blinking, shaking his head, Randy studied the passenger seat next to him for some time, trying to make heads or tails of it. So many things had been appearing and disappearing that night. He thought it was another trick of light. Maybe damage to his brain, sustained from the crash. Maybe even the thick smoke exhaling from the dashboard was choking him, making him delirious. Because something about the passenger seat didn't make sense. It was empty. Julia was gone. He didn't know whether to trust his own eyes, or even his mind. Had she not been with him on the trip? Were his memories of talking with her and being next to her all false? Just more damage from the crash. But there was one sight, one image, that brought everything into instant, painful focus. Her seatbelt. She'd taken it off before the crash. Randy became aware of a cold draft whispering across his face. He turned his sore neck to look at the windshield, at the massive hole in the passenger side. Then he looked through it through the billowing smoke rising from the car's hood, into the woods beyond. There, at the foot of a moss-covered pine, lay Julia, face up, arms at her sides, as simply as if she were reclined on their couch back home. Oh my God, Randy said over and over, clawing his way out of his seatbelt and forcing open his crumpled door. He ran to her, mumbling prayers the whole way until he collapsed in the dead leaves next to her and shook her, the breath caught in his chest as he prayed and shook, prayed and shook. Slowly she opened her eyes. It was a miracle, and he laughed. She sat up despite him telling her not to, and she looked around at the woods, then at the highway, as if she'd never seen them before. The smell came again to Randy's nose, the smell of death. Then he saw the faces in the trees, staring at them, emerging from the shadows of the pines. Even though he knew he shouldn't move someone so soon after an accident, he decided the alternative was much worse. He helped Julia to her feet and brought her up onto the paved road, leaving behind the ruined Oldsmobile. With an arm around her waist, he started walking her down the highway, away from the people coming from the trees and the others in the road some with missing arms, some with burnt clothes and skin. He didn't know how long it would be until the next exit, but he wasn't going to stop until they reached it. The burnt and bleeding crowd shuffled slowly behind, though he tried not to look at them. After a few minutes of painful walking, Randy heard a sound through the trees on the other side of the highway. It took some time to place it, but soon he realized what it was. The river the one they talked about earlier. It was close by, closer than the exit that wouldn't come, and then something kicked in the back of his mind. A tiny thought, 
a single fact. Repeated in so many of the million ghost stories he'd read and collected over the years. An ancient, time-tested rule to offer protection from the dead. Running water, he shouted proudly. They can't cross it. He didn't wait for Julia to agree with him. He just grabbed her hand and started running toward the river, weaving between trees and jumping over rocks. Julia kept up, letting herself be pulled toward what might be their only escape. She didn't complain about her injuries or let them slow her down. Before long, they emerged from the other side of the trees to find a wide river rushing through the moonlit night. It was swollen from the recent storms, the waters flowing dangerously fast, threatening to carry them or anyone away with one misstep. Randy let go of Julia's hand so he could step in properly before turning back to help her in. The water was frigid, soaking his shoes and pants instantly. Come on, he called out, breath already shaking. They're coming! From the woods, emerging from between the old, knotted trees that held back the waterlogged shoreline, broken bodies stepped into the moonlight. A woman in a faded yellow dress, burnt to little more than charcoal from the waist up. An older man, a truck driver from the look of his clothes, with a horribly broken neck that allowed his bloodied head to flop around. Two little children, one boy and one girl, whose shattered bodies barely held them up on blackened legs. Standing in the bitterly cold water, the heat draining from his body, Randy had a thought so strange so foreign. It was as if it weren't his own, as if he'd tuned into a hidden radio frequency, a code buried in the airwaves. It was the thought that Broken Down Road had been so easy for them to find that night for a reason, because they hadn't found it. Rather, it had found them. It appeared to them by its own choice, its own volition, the playground seeking the toys, Body temperature dropping, blood going cold, Randy understood the truth of Broken Down Road. It was always easy to find when it wanted to be found. He shouted for Julia to get into the water as more and more destroyed people came out of the trees. Julia, beaten up badly from the crash, stood above him in the night, pale and beautiful and his to protect. And yet she didn't move, didn't join him in the freezing cold water, she didn't even look scared anymore, just bloodied and discolored. He looked down at his hand, the one he'd been offering to her, and saw how much of her blood was on it, cold and coagulated. As Randy looked back up and watched the hands reach out for him, Julia among them, her bloodied fingers beckoning him to come back, to join her and the others on land, he suddenly knew the truth that she couldn't set foot in the river, couldn't even touch it. The dead couldn't cross running water, and soon neither could he.